You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. We are once again coming to you from the Exeter Inn in Exeter, New Hampshire, and with me again today is my co-host, Cindy Johnson. Happy 4th of July, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. Happy 4th. On this edition of Lighthearted, we'll have our usual trivia question and a segment on lighthouse history, but first we're heading just about an hour down the coast. Actually, it's a little over an hour by car from Exeter, New Hampshire to Rockport, Massachusetts, but it's a little less than 30 miles by sea. We're going to start with a discussion of Straitsmith Island Lighthouse off Rockport, Massachusetts. That's right. Let's give our listeners a little background. Rockport grew up around an indentation in the northeastern part of Cape Ann known as Sandy Bay. It was determined that Straitsmith Island, which is about 1,600 feet offshore, would be a perfect place for a lighthouse to guide vessels toward the busy harbor at Pigeon Cove and also to help vessels pass through the channel between Thatcher Island to the south and the rocks known as the Salvages northeast of Straitsmith. A lighthouse was first established on Straitsmith Island in 1835. The tower was rebuilt in 1851 and again in 1896. The 1896 Straitsmith Island Lighthouse, a 37-foot brick tower, along with 1.8 acres of land, became the property of the town of Rockport in 2010 under the guidelines of the National Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act. In 2014, the town of Rockport signed a 30-year lease with Massachusetts Audubon for the use of the Keeper's House and Oil House. The nonprofit Thatcher Island Association raises money for the historic preservation and operation of Thatcher and Straitsmith Islands. Thatcher Island, about a mile and a half south of Straitsmith Island, is home to twin granite lighthouses and is designated a National Historic Landmark. The island is accessible to the public via boat tours from Rockport. You can learn more at thatcherisland.org. Paul St. Germain is the president of the Thatcher Island Association and a Cape Ann author and historian. He has lived in Rockport for more than 25 years. He's written four books for the popular Images of America series, all focused on Cape Ann's maritime and industrial heritage. I recently had a chance to sit down and talk with him about Straysmith Island Light Station. Let's listen to that conversation now. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today, Paul. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Paul, you and I go back quite a few years. It's got to be close to 20 years at this point? At least. At least. (laughs) I've been involved with Thatcher Island for 25 years, and I think we met up maybe a couple of years after I started, so Uh it's uh, at least 20 years. And uh, first, uh, as we get started here, I just want to congratulate you on all the progress that's been made over the years on Thatcher Island with the restoration of all the buildings there. There's been so much that's uh, happened there over the years. I've watched the progress there personally since the late 1980s when the Thatcher Island Association got started. Thatcher is one of my favorite light stations, and I certainly want to recommend to all our listeners that they make an effort to visit there sometime. That's great. We... uh we offer trips out to Thatcher Island every summer. We go out there on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So if anybody's interested, check out our website and all the information to uh, get a ticket to ride, as they say, mm-hmm. uh, is on uh, the website, thatcherisland.org. 
We'll mention that again before we're, okay. we're through here yep. today. Okay, uh, so another time, I definitely want to sit down and talk more in depth about Thatcher Island, definitely. <clears throat> There's a lot to talk about there, but today we're mainly going to concentrate on Straitsmith Island Lighthouse. Uh, I first visited Straitsmith nearly 20 years ago, and I know what terrible condition the Keeper's House and the Oil House were in at that time. The Keeper's House was basically falling apart. Uh, it was an eyesore. Uh, and uh, I honestly thought the Keeper's House and the Oil House uh, might have been beyond saving at that point. It's amazing to me to see what's been accomplished in recent years since the town of Rockport and the Thatcher Island Association have become the stewards uh, in recent years uh, for the island. Uh, it had to be a daunting uh, project uh, when you took over. Can you tell us a little bit about the process of how you've been able to save the buildings on Straits? Sure. Um, back in 2008, um, the Coast Guard offered up the lighthouse on Straitsmith Island to any group that would uh, agree to maintain it, uh, part of the National Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act. We, uh, as a group, and the board of directors of, of the association, felt it was incumbent on, on us to go to the town and at least offer up to the town the possibility of taking over that island. And uh, that's basically how we did it 20, 25 years ago um, with Thatcher. We brought it to the Board of uh, Selectmen. They thought it was a great idea. And so um, a bunch of us applied to the Coast Guard and the Park Service uh, and General Services Administration, who's, who's in charge of um, selling the property or getting, offering the, the property uh, to basically nonprofit groups. So we did that. Everything was approved by 2010. And now the town owns 1.8 acres of land uh, on Straysmith, including the lighthouse. So our first project, you, you mentioned the oil house falling apart. Um, our first project was to repair the oil house. Now, something uh, a lot of people don't realize is the island's actually owned by Mass Audubon. And Mass Audubon have become great partners with us. And so we went to them because they own the oil house and said, how about if we repair the oil house and then we can use it to put our tools in as we progress in restoring the rest of the structures on the island. And they thought that was a great idea. So our first project was we totally uh, restored the uh, old brick oil house that was built, I think, in 1905. The next step was the lighthouse itself. Now that the town owned the lighthouse. It needed a lot of work. The brickwork, both inside and outside, needed a lot of repointing. Some of the brick uh, sleeve on the inside had slipped. Um, but the main problem with that, with the lighthouse, was the uh, uh, the metal beam that supported the the floor below the lantern room it was all rust jacked out, which means it was pushing through the brick and actually becoming dislodged. All that metal work had to be redone. We got that done. We ran a fundraising campaign and raised $150,000, which International Chimney that did the work charged us to do that project. And that was very successful. Um, the lighthouse looks brand new. It's been repainted. 
repointed, um, all the metalwork um, is nice and shiny and black, so uh, we were happy with that. So the next step was the keeper's house. And as you say, the side of that house literally fell off. It slid right down. So you could see the, uh, the floor of the second floor right open to the weather. Mass Audubon had wanted to give us the house. And we said, that's a great idea. We'd love to have it. But it was in such poor condition. We said, we'll accept it on one condition, that you at least seal it up to the weather to let us you know, get to it the following year. And they said, okay, we can do that. And they literally spent $200,000 to reseal it up, and, uh, which we were very happy with. So they said they really weren't interested in keeping the house because, um, as they said, they said to us often, they're into birds, not, to, not built buildings. Right. So we, um, they got their lawyers together to offer up uh, a contract to offer the house. And as they were going through the, the, uh, the deed and the paperwork, they realized that they couldn't give us, offer the house for free. They had to sell it to us. Because the gift from the William Gibbs, who had owned the island before that, uh, his gift stated that uh, any of the structures had to be sold and couldn't be given away. So we were disappointed in that, but we went back with them and had another discussion and offered up the alternative of how about if we took a long-term lease for 30 years on the house? And they thought it was a great idea, and the town thought it was a great idea. So here we are. We now uh, are leasing uh, the keeper's dwelling for a dollar a year. Mm -hmm. So that gave us impetus to start working on the, uh, the restoration of that house. We hired a contractor because it was a huge job. Even though we've got, the association has 70 plus uh, volunteers who work on both islands during the summer months, this job was pretty extensive, probably a little bit more than we could have handled. So we did a lot of the, uh, the clapboard work on the outside. Sim some of the simpler projects, but then the contractor did all of the more complicated things inside. So that went on for about three and a half, four years. And just this past um, fall, we completed um, the restoration of the house. So this June of this summer, um, we will install our first summer resident uh, keepers out on Thatcher. I mean, out, out on Straitsman, as we do on Thatcher. And so we'll, we're looking f forward to that. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing to see, see what's, what's happened, how, the progress that's been made. Now, tell me about the, uh, the access, uh, the public access that's, mm -hmm. that's happening. There is going to be public access? There, or the, there, there uh, certainly is. We are, uh, as I said in our most recent newsletter, um, having a soft opening mm -hmm. <laughs> this summer. I just want to make the point that we're recording this uh, in mid-May 2019, but uh, I believe this uh, people will be hearing this in early July, so I just want oh, to make that point. So. Right. Yes, it'll be open to the public um, 
this summer. What we plan to do is, uh, the island will in fact be open to the public uh, this summer. As we do on, the, on Thatcher, we have um, trips out to Thatcher on Wednesdays and Saturdays uh, for the general public. We are not planning to do that on Straitsmith this summer, but we will begin trips out to Straitsmith the following summer of 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we will be allowing is kayakers to come out to Straitsmith or anybody else who has their own boat, they can anchor right off the island and get on the island. Okay. Um, the major access is a boat ramp uh, that we've just completed this uh, past November. Mm-hmm. Similar boat ramp that we have out on Thatcher. And we don't have a dock or a pier. And it's never been that way on either island. They've only uh, had ramp boat ramps. We have two uh, aluminum specially designed boats with flat bottoms and rollers on the bottom. Our boats land on the ramp, and then we have a winch that pulls the boat up the ramp. Uh, this ramp is was just completed, as I say, in November. Uh, we raised uh, close to $400,000 to build that ramp. We were just out there recently, um, had the engineering uh, inspection with the contractor, so we're ready to go. What we will be planning to do uh, in the summer of 2019 here is installing the the boat winch and the winch motor that will allow us to to pull the boat up the ramp. It's interesting. This ramp existed, the first boat ramp existed starting in like the 1860s and was in existence right up to about 1930. 1934-35 is when the Coast Guard actually left the island. They still managed the island, but they didn't live there after that point. They then started, actually sold the island to individuals in 1941. The first uh, owner um, took it over. And since that time, it's been owned by a a series of of individuals right up until... 1964, when uh, William Francis Gibbs bought it. And then three years later, on his passing, his brother uh, donated the island uh, to Mass Audubon. We've done a lot of other work on the island uh, over the last four or five years. We've built a a new barn, which is a storage and, and maintenance barn to store our tractors and other equipment. Uh, we've widened the trails. We have a three-quarters of a mile long trail that runs the length of the island. Uh, the ramp is on the western end at what they call the gap end of the island, and uh, which is exactly uh, where the original ramp, and there was a boathouse there back in the 18, late 1800s. So we've duplicated that. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, where we are so far. And then, again, this summer we've got plans to... There's a, a walkway that runs from the, uh, the keeper's house to the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And that was there in the mid, also mid-1800s and had been uh, repaired in a number of times over the years. And it, up until about mm-hmm. 40, 50 years ago, it just collapsed. Yeah. It was built up on, on granite piers. 
So we're going to be replacing that. We found all 32 of the granite piers. We're going to set them up again and, and build a new walkway. Hmm. And once we get that finished, it'll allow uh, us to have the public actually be able to go into the lighthouse and climb the lighthouse from that. So hmm. we're looking forward to that. You think that'll happen by the time the 2020 uh, boat tours I don't start? think so. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll probably have one or two of the sections completed this summer. And we'll finish it off in in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what's interesting about it, over the years, since 1835, when the very first lighthouse was built, the public hasn't been allowed on that island for all those years. Right. So literally, 180 years later is the first time the general <laughs> public would be allowed to go on the island. So that's kind of an exciting thing. Yeah. I know the one time I got on the island with the Coast Guard about almost 20 years ago, mm-hmm. I felt pretty special to be one of the few people who yeah. was able to get on there. So it's going to be really exciting yep. when the public tours yep. start there. Uh, now, the, the keeper's house, again, is being made livable for a, a caretaker or, or mm-hmm. so-called keeper to live there in right. the summer. Yep. Will uh, there be part of that that will also be open for the public tours when they go out there? Yes. Well, our plans are in the keeper's house is to open up um, – at least one of the rooms, maybe two of the rooms to the general public. What we're, we're planning to do, to do is recreate a Victorian parlor uh, in that, that house. That house is, dates to 1878. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a Victorian styling, styled house anyhow. So we've been collecting antique furniture and settees and beds and all kinds of other Victorian paraphernalia. We've... Uh, been collecting a lot of marine artifacts. Uh, we've got a Lyle gun. We've got uh, a signal gun from a fishing schooner. We've got a sextant, uh, all from ships and areas around here that people have collected over the years and have donated to us. So mm-hmm. we'll have a nice little artifact uh, room for people to get a feel for how keepers lived in, in the 1800s out there. What a great addition to the area that's going to be when that's Yeah, we're very tours. proud of this. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the fact of the matter is that it really gives Rockport a whole brand new venue for visitors. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rockport is, is, as you know, very much of a tourist uh, town. And so this gives just another reason for people to come out. So um, especially where it's so close to Rockport Harbor, it's very simple and very right. easy for kayakers to get out there. It's only yeah. up like a mile from Rockport Harbor. Yeah, from but, Bearskin Neck. Right, uh, yeah. exactly, exactly. You can actually, if you uh, crane your neck just right from the end of Bearskin Neck, you can see Straitsmith. We uh-huh. have a, a, we put up a sign, um, an interpretive sign, at the end of Bearskin Neck, and it's lined up. So if, if you stand in front of that sign, it's got all kind of the history of the three different lighthouses that had been built there over the years. And if you stand behind the sign and you look straight ahead, you can see mm-hmm. what you're seeing on the sign. You can right. see the, okay. the light and the, and the house uh, from that distance. So yeah. It's pretty cool. Uh-huh. For listeners who might not know, Bearskin Neck is the kind of uh, touristy part of uh, Rockport where all the, the shops are. Or, right, or every- right. All the, uh, the art galleries. The and yeah, art galleries. Yeah, absolutely. And the t-shirt shops. You <laughs> yeah. can't have a and restaurants. thing without yes, t-shirts. Yeah, and lobster rolls and all that stuff. Right. 
so let me, uh, before we wrap it up, let me just mention uh, this year's annual Thatcher Island Association Sunset Cruise. I believe this year is scheduled for July 10th, which is going to be soon after uh, we plan to uh, play this interview in the podcast. Uh, do you want to say a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. And I'm glad you brought it, brought it up, Jeremy, because uh, you'll be narrating that oh, yeah. thing. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you have it on your calendar. <laughs> yeah, I do. So and, it's, yeah. a, it's a great take. Uh, we, we take a whale watch boat out of Gloucester, and uh, we run through Gloucester Harbor, up the Enniscorm River, around Ipswich Bay, and back down by Halibut Point, Rockport Harbor. We go by six different lighthouses, and usually try to catch the Thatcher light just around sunset. So it's a great photo op for people who uh, love lighthouses. Yeah. And so we, f we fill the boat every year. We have uh, room for 150 uh, passengers. And uh, already we've sold 50 tickets. So That's mm -hmm. great. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things, and I've I've narrated most of them for more than fifteen years, right. I think. But I've missed the last couple, so it's going to be good That's to right. be I've back. That's right. I've had to fill in for you. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm sure you've done perfectly well, but uh, it's going to be great to be back. So I'm lo really looking forward to that again, July 10th. And tell us again the uh, the website uh, where people can get information on that sure. and all the um, other uh, things about the yeah, Thatcher Island Association. Everything you ever wanted to know about Thatcher and Straitsmith, frankly, uh, mm -hmm. is on thatcherisland.org. Very simple. Yeah, I imagine you're also on Facebook and other social yeah, media as well. exactly. Exactly. We've got all that. Uh, <clears throat> so... I, I would strongly recommend that if anybody's interested to know more about both islands, we've got some videos on there, we've got some great photography, um, the history of both islands on there. It's a good informational source. Plus, you can buy hats and T-shirts. <laughs> Don't want to forget there. about that. Yeah. Right. Uh, anything else? Any closing words? Anything you'd like to add, Paul? No. Um, one other thing about Straitsmith, um, I'm in the process of... Uh, of writing a book on Straitsmith. This will be kind of a history book uh, going all the way back to the 1600s when the first uh, owner of uh, Straitsmith uh, was actually given the island uh, for his role in the French and Indian Wars. And so we're uh, hoping to publish it sometime in 2020 to coincide with the official opening to the public uh, in 2020. Excellent. So I'm looking forward to that. Those two things go together very well. They do. They Congratulations do. They do. Thank on, you. on both. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for spending this, this time My pleasure. Uh, with us My today. Pleasure. All right. Thank you, Paul. Right. Thanks, Jerry. Now it's time for our Lighthouse History segment. In the last two editions, we detailed the first three lighthouse towers on the Eddystone Rocks southwest of Plymouth, England. The first one fell in the great storm of November 1703, taking the life of its designer, Henry Winstanley. The second tower burned down in 1755, killing the 94-year-old keeper, Henry Hall. The third tower, designed by John Smeaton, lasted more than a century and was considered a major advancement in the construction of offshore wave-swept granite lighthouse towers. Smeaton's tower probably would have stood much longer if it wasn't undermined by the action of the seas. It was dismantled and moved to shore in Plymouth, where it remains a tourist attraction. 
Many visitors climb its 93 steps for a view of Plymouth Sound and the city. The present, still active, Eddy Stone Lighthouse, built between 1879 and 1882, was designed by James Douglas. He was a civil engineer and a prolific builder of lighthouses. He was the oldest son of Nicholas Douglas, also a civil engineer, and both of the Douglases worked on the building of Bishop Rock Lighthouse off the southwestern tip of the Cornish Peninsula. Trinity House, the English Lighthouse Authority, engaged James Douglas to design the Smalls Lighthouse off the coast of Pembrokeshire. He based the design on Smeaton's Eddystone Tower, and he finished the Smalls Lighthouse in an impressive two years. He went on to design 20 lighthouses for Trinity House, including some in Sri Lanka. James's brother, William, became the engineer-in-chief to the Commissioners of Irish Lights in 1878. The achievement that defined James Douglas's career was his design of the fourth Eddystone Lighthouse. When the tower was completed in 1882 with no loss of life and nearly 19,000 pounds under budget, the Duke of Edinburgh laid the final stone. A short time later, Douglas was knighted in recognition of his distinguished career as an engineer and designer of lighthouses. For years, three keepers continuously staffed the lighthouse. Entry was by breaches buoy and was difficult when the seas were rough. Around Christmas, there were always news items reporting on the delivery of mail and turkey for the keepers. Eddystone Lighthouse became the first so-called rock lighthouse or wave-swept lighthouse under the management of Trinity House to be automated in 1982. To enable the automation to be carried out, a helipad was installed above the lantern. The automated light was activated on May 18, 1982, 100 years to the day after the light had first gone into operation. By the way, the song The Eddie Stone Light, popularized by the Kingston Trio, the Brothers Four, the Weavers, Burl Ives, and others, has its roots in a longer English version called The Man at the Noor, which was a big hit in British music halls in the mid-1800s. It was made popular by Arthur Lloyd, a specialist in comic songs, and the original version was about a sailor on a light ship who has an affair with a mermaid. It was changed to the Eddystone Light by the late 1800s. It's the song, along with the dramatic demises of the first two lighthouses, that have made Eddystone probably the world's most famous lighthouse. The version of the song you're about to hear is by Shanachie, a duo composed of Pat Heffernan and Patrick Keane. Pat Heffernan happens to be a volunteer of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. So here is the Keeper of the Eddystone Light. My father was the Keeper of the Eddystone Light And he slept with the mermaid one fine night From this union there came three A porpoise and a porgy and the other was a bee Yo, ho, ho, the wind blows free Oh, for a life on the rolling sea one night on deck and the moon was dim I was singing a verse from the evening hymn When a voice from the starboard shouted ahoy There was my mother sitting on a boy Yo-ho-ho, ho, the wind blows free Oh, for a life on the rolling sea Oh, what has become of my children three? My mother, she then asked of me The one's on exhibit as a talking fish And the other was served in a chafing dish Yo-ho-ho, ho, the wind blows free Oh, for a life on the rolling sea Then the phosphorus flashed in the seaweed hair I looked again and my mother wasn't there 
But a voice came angrily out of the night The hell with the keeper of the Eddystone light Yo-ho-ho, oh, oh, the wind blows free Oh, for a life on the rolling sea Time for our trivia question. The first two people to answer the following question correctly will win prizes. If you listen to all of this edition of Lighthearted, you should know the answer. Here is the question. Who designed the lighthouse tower that was built on the Eddystone Rocks in England in 1882 and still stands today? Again, who designed the lighthouse tower that was built on the Eddystone Rocks in England in 1882 and still stands today? To enter, send your answer in an email to me at jeremy at uslhs.org. Be sure to say you are answering the trivia question in Lighthearted Episode 10. And again, send it in an email to jeremy at uslhs.org. That's jeremy at uslhs.org. And again, the first two people to answer correctly will win a prize. The first person to answer correctly gets a copy of the book Lighthouses of America, published in association with the U.S. Lighthouse Society. It's a beautiful 176-page hardcover book featuring stunning photographs of lighthouses across the country taken by society photographers. The second person to answer correctly gets an official U.S. Lighthouse Society passport. The Lighthouse Passport Program provides enthusiasts the opportunity to help preserve lighthouses as well as a wonderful way to keep a pictorial history of their lighthouse adventures. You can learn more about the Passport Program at uslhs.org. And that wraps up this installment of Lighthearted. Happy Fourth of July, everyone, and thank you to the staff of the Exeter Inn. Special thanks to the staff and volunteers of the U.S. Lighthouse Society out in Hansville, Washington, including Jeff Gales, Cassandra Rowland, Marie Vincent, Catherine Clint, Rena Guevara, Maria Guevara, Sabrina Ericald, Jerry Rowland, Margie Rowland, Chad Kaiser, Peter Rafa, Skip Sherwood, and Mary Lee Sherwood. There are many, many other people who volunteer for the USLHS around the country, and actually in other countries as well. And in one of these editions of the podcast, we'll name more of them. They all deserve our gratitude for the very important work they do on a continual basis. Listeners should also check out the USLHS social media pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And be sure to check out all the information on the USLHS website at uslhs.org, including the J. Candace Clifford Research Catalog. I also want to mention the uh, U.S. Lighthouse Society news blog at news.uslhs.org. Also, I hope some of our listeners will be able to visit us during our open houses at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse in Newcastle, New Hampshire, uh, this summer, you're usually there on Sunday afternoons, of course, Cindy. Yes, barring anything unforeseen, I'm there every Sunday. We're open to visitors for tours from 1 to 5 p.m. on Sundays from Memorial Day weekend until Columbus Day weekend in mid-October. And we will be there tomorrow, uh, Sunday, July the 5th. And people can check us out online at PortsmouthHarborLighthouse.org and our Facebook page as well. And that does it for now. So until next time... Keep a good light in the dark.